Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome you all to the Daily Energy Markets uh, podcast. It is the first trading day and first trading week, actually, of the fourth quarter. So uh, probably a very significant period ahead for us. Um, delighted to be joined today by three of our regular uh, experts and commentators, Amar Najia, Global Head of Derivatives, BB Energy. Let me start with you uh, and let's get a, get an outlook from you for the next um three months, you know, we've seen obviously uh, prices rise 25, 30% in the last quarter. Expectations for the next three months ahead from you? Uh, so Vandana asked me the last same question um, last week. So 110 Brent going into the end of the year. So higher. Um, I, like, I like commodities higher. I like oil higher. Um, and I think, uh, you know, since the market rallied late June from $67 basis WTI, everybody was pessimistic and, oh, God, we're going to, and all this kind of stuff. Market has done nothing except go up. And right now, I think we're in the uh, skepticism phase, as in, you know, it's gone up so much, it's bound to come off. Uh, so I'm looking for another leg higher, a substantial one at that. Okay, and what will drive that higher? I mean, is it just technical sort of uh, gravity or, or, or other sort no, of what drives it? What, what, no, no, fundamentals. I mean, you know, um, market goes up doesn't magically mean that, uh, you know, demand starts to, uh, uh, you know, emerge out of nothingness and doesn't mean that supply also disappears into nothingness or emerge or whatever. So markets, I believe, are driven by sentiment. So what's going to drive this is basically people being short, people being skeptical, people thinking that a recession is coming, people talking about China and you should sell and all this kind of stuff, and um, pushing the market up and getting them to panic and buy. So I think that's what's going to drive the market. Okay, Clyde Russell, Asia Commodities and Energy columnist at Thomson Reuters. Welcome again, uh, Clyde. Would you agree with Omar in the sense that the momentum is still upwards from here? I mean, we're already at $92 for Brent. Uh, you know, he's calling it to, to go above 100 in the next few months. Um, give us your perspective uh, on, on the influence from Asia on that, obviously, as a big demand center. Well, I might have a slightly different view. I don't discount the possibility that oil will go above 100. I mean, that's always on the cards as long as uh, the Saudis and the Russians and the rest of the OPEC plus group maintain those cuts and really do take barrels out of the market. But I think we're starting to see those early signs of a little bit of demand coming off in Asia. It is a top importing region. And the huge X factor is always China. And in the past, when oil prices have risen as sharply as they have, you're now looking at like 36% since the end of June. What the Chinese have tended to do is dip into their stockpiles. Now, this means what this means in practical terms is if they choose to, they can go from importing about 12 million barrels a day down to about 10, while still running their refineries as hard as they currently have been, and therefore still being able to capture all those lovely diesel profit margins that you're making in Asia right now. So that would be the sensible play for the Chinese to do. Lower their import bill, but still make a huge amount of money on the exports. So I think you're starting to see that. We have seen Chinese imports go down a little bit in, in, in September, but you've got to remember that the way that the market works with the 
lags between when a crude is arranged and when it's actually delivered, you wouldn't actually really expect to see their imports come off if they are going to come off until October, November, December, because that's when they would have been buying the more expensive oil. So I think that's the X factor at the moment. I will defer how I feel until I actually see what the Chinese are really doing. Um, anecdotally, we're seeing them starting uh, to lower imports. And I think that might just put a cap on oil prices. Not saying it's going to drive them lower, but it will be pretty hard to get over 100 barrel, uh, bucks a barrel if the Chinese uh, you know, take away 2 million barrels of demand. Yeah. Um, Adi Msirovich, um, Director of Surrey Clean Energy, good morning, welcome, good to see you again. Morning. Let's talk a bit about the factors that could bring, uh, keep you know, cap oil at $100 at least, or, or keep it below. One is actual natural demand coming from China, for example. The other one, of course, is the proactive, unnatural uh, activities of OPEC, cutting, supporting the price through, you know, fundamentals, but but through sort of proactive action. Uh, and, and supply. Um, I mean, a lot of people now saying that, you know, hang on, you know, it's time for OPEC to slow down a bit. You know, we're getting towards $100 a barrel. This impending recession in the US is coming next year, albeit shallow. Um, they meet later this week, the panel meets later this week. Do you think anything will trigger them to change their policy ahead of December? Um, I don't, um, I, I'm not sure that they will uh, change very much, actually. I think Saudi Arabia is quite happy with these prices. In fact, I could, I would guess they would want to see uh, prices a little bit higher than that, even without admitting it. Uh, the key reason for me thinking that is that um, I, uh, we've got the news of, of uh, Saudi Arabia coming back again to the international markets, uh, financial markets, to actually plug their budget deficit, which is appearing again. So for end of this year, next year, <clears throat> we're expecting some 2% budget deficit again. So I think they they certainly would want to have higher prices. Yeah. Now, the way you may cap uh, the current market a little bit is by them. And we already have seen some signs through um, ship tracking that they they might be actually exporting a little bit more than they're saying. Um, so uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't want to cash in in these very, very high prices. Um, the other the other reason, of course, yes, going back to to, to what Clive says is, is China is still quite murky, even though I do think um, I'm, I'm actually still positive about this market. I think we'll see probably $100 by the end of the year, one way or the other. Uh, the reason uh, the reason is that um, we've seen uh, an uptick in um property prices in China again. So even though this the sort of this subprime, Chinese subprime situation is not far from resolved, it's still um uh, it, it, it's still a problem. There could be a cap, but um typically I remember trading in Asia for many, many years. This is uh, the, the the time of year when China buys a lot. Uh, they've got Golden Week now coming in. Fuel demand is picking up. Uh, international and domestic demand is picking up for travel. Uh, at the same time, refineries are preparing to buy oil in, in anticipation of the Chinese New Year, of course, because of the big gaps, delivery and so on. So it's two mm -hmm. to three months earlier. So this is a time of year, but generally you'll see uh, demand very, very strong. So overall, I think I'm very positive about the market. So somewhere in between, I'm not probably quite as uh, bullish as Omar, but uh, at the same time, I see a lot of positives out there, including 
you know, uh, uh, Chinese industrial activity and, and the U.S. economy ticking along very well in, in spite of all the politicians in the U.S. trying to kill it. Yeah. Well, just before I leave you, Ali, just you mentioned that Saudi is probably exporting more than it's letting on. What about Russia? What's the latest sort of uh, indicators out there, if you like, uh, uh, on Russia sticking to or at least starting to implement some of the cuts it pledged earlier this year and more recently? And with Russia, it's always very difficult whether they are starting to implement or not. is very hard because to Russia, the most important issues for, for Putin rather than Russia are domestic issues. And they have a lot of problems with domestic supplies now. They just don't have domestic enough domestic supplies. Has, hence, they've had this ban on 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 diesel exports. Uh, and they they can always juggle between um, uh, crude and products, making it very hard to actually figure out exactly what they're doing. The other thing that happened that a lot of uh, commentators forgot was that in the in the last few months there were quite a few turnarounds in Russia almost 40%, some 40% of refining capacity was out. So that was another reason why that ex exacerbated uh, their exports. But uh, looking at a longer picture, I, there certainly, there has been less export, but not as much as they claim. So not 500, but probably a couple of hundred less. Uh, but, but that I would not, uh, I always say the same thing. Uh, Putin needs cash. Putin will export as much as he can, subject to, to, to circumstances. Okay, Omar, just back to you and just talk, let's talk a bit about products. Um, you know, is it crude pulling products up or, or, or inflation pulling crude up? Or is it is it products pulling everything else up, if you like, the recovery in jet demand, recovery in gasoline? Europe, for the first time, we see wage inflation uh, is, is above, wages are above inflation, if you like. Uh, some stats coming out last week and more, more expected. So, you know, where's, where's, Where's the pull and the push, if you like, do you think, in this equation today? Well, I mean, it's, um, uh, it's, it's interesting. So basically, OPEC is cutting production, so there's less oil. We hear a lot about, you know, are they really going to do it? I mean, before this, before the are they really going to implement the cuts, it was they're not going to implement the cuts and, um, you know, they're just talking and they'll never do it and all this kind of stuff, right? Because they don't have enough, quote, unquote, storage. Now, when the story came out about Russian diesel, we have the same thing. They're not going to do it. Obviously, it's a bluff. You've seen it on Reuters, yeah. on Bloomberg. You know why? Because they don't have enough concrete storage, right? So uh, I think that, um, you know, uh, uh, going into winter, one thing you don't want to be short uh, is the oil market, okay? Now, for whatever reason, China is going to do this and Europe's going to do that. I think basically being short oil is going to be a very uh, gutsy play, right? So, um, so, so again, I think basically the market is set for higher. I think the market is set. I mean, what would surprise the market and commentators is basically if this market actually surges, if it does surge, because we keep hearing, I mean, you know, you're mentioning inflation, right? But everybody's saying that inflation is peaked, you know, we're coming off. Uh, maybe you've got one more Fed rate rise and then they're going to cut. So that doesn't kind of uh, gel with, uh, you know, inflation going higher. And that, that's the reason for, for crude going up. Crude went up when they were, uh, you know, when inflation numbers coming out of uh, the U.S. at least were, were going lower. So, no, I don't believe that there is a correlation between inflation going higher and oil going higher. 
uh, I think there's a, a, a bigger picture at play. I think basically there's not manipulation in the oil market, but there's basically certain vested interests. I think people just still don't understand that if you tell Saudi Arabia that in 10 years we're not going to need your oil, they're going to want to maximize revenue. I think that still has to enter basically the psyche of, yeah. uh, of people. And that's 10-year outlook. But as, as Adi said, the more, the more up-to-date uh, new piece of news is, is that budget... Uh, revision uh, of, of not of being in deficit for the next year or two or three in Saudi because of their huge obviously expenditure plans that's obviously a a, a choice that they're making uh, clearly to continue that expenditure Clyde just back to you Adi mentioned a bit about China you know quite sounding quite positive the properties property prices are recovering I mean I've just read I just keep on reading doomsday uh, articles about the property sector in, in, in China. But is this sort of policy, is the government intervention, stimulus, actually kind of succeeding now in pushing that back a little bit? Uh, and obviously, we've had other PMI data come out uh, uh, recently. I mean, in terms of how well really the economy is doing, relatively speaking, not too well, but Q4 expectations, you know, growth expectations uh, back back to sort of this year's normal? Well, I think what we're seeing in, in China at the moment is there are parts of the economy that are actually doing pretty well. And, and quite frankly, that's not really captured by a lot of the media reporting on China. Um, and you do tend to hear more about the sectors that aren't doing well. Um, there are some minor, I would say, little green shoots in the property sector. Um, you have seen, you know, uh, increased lending, which, uh, you know, goes towards an increase in demand for new apartments and things like that. So there are some things that are looking OK. If you look at the PMIs, if you look at the private sector one and the official one, they're basically telling a story of an economy bouncing along, um, you know, a, a, at a, a kind of steady level, not accelerating, not really decelerating. So I think what you actually got in China is, uh, a, a reasonable economic picture. And, you know, a reasonable economic picture when you're talking China is it translates into massive commodity demand. People mm. really forget that. The people say, oh, China's a new Japan. Yeah, it may well become the new Japan, but it will be 10 times the size of the old Japan. So it's still going to be consuming massive amounts of commodities, even at a modest growth rate of three, four percent going forward. So I, I'm kind of still sort of quite bullish on the idea of China being a major commodity demand center for, for many years to come. And I think that is, you know, you've you got to factor that in. I think what the Chinese are capable of doing is dialing up and down um, commodity demand in a way that they weren't in the past. In the past, they were growing eight, nine, 10%. They needed the commodities that were going to pay the price no matter what. Now they've actually, you know, they've got stockpiles. It's not just oil. They've got stockpiles of, you know, copper, of aluminium, of steel, of other things. And they tend to be able to manipulate those. Where you see where they are less successful is when they don't have stockpiles. Like right now, the iron ore prices are $120 a ton. That's high by historic standards. The Chinese port stockpiles are at their lowest level in three years. Coal stockpiles, also not good. Coal prices have been rising. The Chinese have been demanding it. So I think their ability to change the market um, is really dependent upon the level of their stockpiles. And they don't talk about their crude stockpiles very much, but we have seen in the past when they deem that prices have risen too quickly or too, uh, too high, they do tend to pull back on imports and they tend to use stockpiles. Um, I see no reason to expect that that won't be the case again. 
Uh, okay, but- and, and what about their exports? We've had them obviously uh, issue a couple of big recently, especially in September, mm-hmm. I think, the second big export product quota. Some talk that they may not issue the third one or they might pull back on, on, on the size of it. Um, you know, what impact could that have on, on, on those product prices for the region? Well, I think, I mean, you've basically got a a squeeze in diesel because the barrels that have come out of the market from the Saudis and the Russians have predominantly been medium sour barrels, high distillate yield, refiners are struggling to replace those. So if the Chinese are able to capture some of that strong margin for producing diesel at the moment, I suspect they're going to do it. Mm. Uh, Whether they import oil to do it or dip into their stockpiles remains another thing. But at the moment, we are seeing their their exports of diesel rise. We're expecting that to continue this month in October. And for the for the Chinese, it's such an easy economic win. It really helps them boost their growth rate because their goal was refining capacity. They can run their refineries at 15 million barrels per day, and they can do all sorts of things, um, you know, to just boost economic growth quite quickly. Um, and I expect that that's what we'll see in the in in the um, in the, in the um, Oh, you know, so, sort of in, in the quarter. Yes, I'm sorry. It's it's his dinner time, so he's he's oh. coming to us for dinner. Okay, we won't uh, keep I, you waiting I, too much longer. <laughs> I'll, I'll put him down. So, sorry Don't about worry that. about that. Great, uh, Adi. Back to you. Let's talk a bit about supply again. Um, and and the U.S. We don't really talk about the U.S. much anymore in this program in terms of oil supply. You know, it's kind of like steady as she goes. You know, but again, uh, some. I mean, we just had a comment on our chat here. Rigs down to the lowest since 2022, but but production has been pretty steady this year, has been rising back up towards that 13 level, maybe not expected to go any further. Give us the recent sort of gossip in, in the market about where that's going in terms of um, US uh, supply coming back in as, as other supplies cut. Mm. Uh, if you just allow me uh, just to uh, step, take one step back and mention something on China that we haven't mentioned yet, and then I'll come back to the US. One of the points that we have not mentioned yet was uh, there's a massive petrochemical capacity coming online in China in this year and next year. It's absolutely massive. Uh, And that will result even at low run rates of even even at half 50 percent or so run rates that will result in additional demand for naphtha of like half a million barrels a day. So, um, you know, the, these things have to be taken into account as well. Um, the, the other thing that China is, the, the, because of closures of all the refining uh, in, in US and, and Europe, and new refining coming up in China and, and Asia in general, what now is happening is that pretty much um, we're kept, all the sort of global refining system is kept at ransom by China and their quota system. So if they allow exports of diesel diesel cracks will come off however mm-hmm. if they don't diesel cracks will continue to roof so actually china is very much globally in a position to dictate um refinery cracks uh, globally so now back to the united states uh united states i i always laugh at you know you know people doom and gloom about shale um uh, yes um there's every every week and and monthly we get a few uh rigs down but they seem to be hitting record production, um, you know, uh, nevertheless. So what's going on? I guess they're just um, being a, a far more productive. Uh, I do believe um, that the markets do work. And I do believe that I think US will be there to supply additional volumes uh, if they can. 
particularly now, what 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 is very interesting here in Europe, um, uh, Daila, is is that uh, because we've lost this OPEC sour crude, we've got record um, <clears throat> inflows of sour crude from the United States, which is Mars especially. So it's yeah, becoming a bit yeah. of a staple. So, um, you know, that's kind of displacing some of the uh, OPEC barrels. At the same time, let's not forget, you know, from the OPEC side, even though the Saudis are really the only ones doing the, 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 the hard work, it's now Iraq is actually hitting exports, uh, record, record exports, in spite of the fact that Kurdistan is not exporting at all. Um, so, yes, um, it's not just the United States. I think we've seen uh, record exports coming out of, uh, of Canada. We're seeing record export coming out of Brazil. And everyone else is stepping up and taking um, advantage of these very, very high prices. And I think even the Saudi volumes that we I forgot to mention when we talked about Saudi potential increase is that um, uh, they, they had problems in the neutral zone with Kapchi field. And that seems to have been sorted out. So we'll probably see very soon another 200,000 barrels coming out of neutral zone, additional supplies. So that's one of the reasons I'm not super bullish. I'm very positive this market. Um, I think market structure and all the sort of uh, uh, paper side of things are pointing towards a very, very strong market. But, you know, longer term down the road, I think, I think you know, uh, there will be some moderating factors. Yeah, I mean, next year, everyone's saying more supply will be will come on board. And of course, we'll start to see the demand uh, effects of these high prices, possibly. Let's just I'm going to go to Omar and talk a bit about gas uh, outlook uh, in a minute. But just look at the survey question there. The November contract expires on Friday and we're now trading December. Is it too late for winter demand delivery to propel Brent to $100 a barrel? Um, it's on its way there. Yes or no? Is it too late to propel it to that $100? My question or, or my other question would be, for example, you know, what could bring us back below $90, possibly. I might go to Amor that later. But first, Amor, I want to ask you about gas outlook. Obviously, we're going into winter now. Um, we've had Indian summers all over Europe, admittedly, but you know we could get some cold spikes anytime with this global warming, which we won't go into. Um, but uh, Amor, outlook for gas, it's been pretty steady um, this year. LNG prices are still a little bit high. You know, Asia probably has something to worry about going forward. But uh, what's the outlook with that on that from sort of market participants, if you like? Well, I mean, um, okay. So uh, in terms of gas, the only gas that I look at is basically Henry Hub, which is like a futures market, which is nothing to do with the uh, the European TTF or with uh, LNG prices. But it seems to me that we are on Henry Hub. Uh, approaching uh, uh, a bottom. Now, whether that bottom is in, I think the market traded like um, just below $2 at some point, $194, something like that. But in any case, I think basically that you, you can make a good argument that that is actually uh, the bottom. And now we, we, we have to take out new highs uh, above like $9 or, or so. It's, I mean, it's an interesting question. The, 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 the thing is, again, it's to do with risk. So you can look at the market and you can look at it over like a 10 year period. And you can see that below that like $192 kind of range, uh, it's pointless. Where's it gonna go to? Where it's gonna go to like, um, you know, it's been up to nine, 12, something like that. So it's, 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 it's unlikely 
um, you know, if I if I have some money and I wanted to bet on on uh, Henry Hub, I'm not going to say, yeah, you know what, it's trading at two, maybe it'll go to one, you know, and uh, whatever. It, when I look at the when I look at it and it has basically upside potential up to nine or twelve, doesn't exactly make me excited to want to short um, uh, energy. The other thing I think is that consensus always is 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 a great factor. So everybody is talking about. Uh, you know, the Fed has maybe one or two uh, uh, interest rate cuts, uh, interest rate rises, and then basically they start cutting. Everybody's saying like a recession is coming. You know, I, I read Bloomberg every day. They can, they say possibility, probability of recession is now 100%. Our model shows 100%. And they've been saying that for about six to eight months, right? All the time. And And what gets me is that the market is all set for that. So I like the idea that something comes and disrupts it and make all these people that, that think that inflation is done and, and, you know, we're coming off and, and it's deflationary and all that kind of stuff, that they are completely wrong. Uh, and basically that we've got higher rates to come. And the fact that if, I mean, it's, it's very interesting, but maybe for, 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 you know, if they cut, if if demand if if interest rates stay at five percent, and and um, uh, debt is at thirty three trillion, they have to pay about one and a half trillion dollars um, just on 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 coupon payments, right? And and deficits increasing by one point five trillion a year. So when you print that kind of money to distribute, just to service your debt, is that inflationary? I would say yes. So yeah. what if you get into like a vicious cycle where rates keep going higher because inflation keeps going higher? They keep putting more and more money in the market, printing more and more, which is basically the whole idea of dollar going the other way because everybody's now bullish in dollars, so dollar tanking and commodities roofing. So I like that kind of idea. I'm not I'm not enamored with the you know uh, recession is coming and it's only a question of time and. And, and they're going to start cutting rates and, and it's deflationary and all that kind of stuff. I think consensus is uh, uh, not a good place to be if you want to make money. Okay, Clyde, let's talk a little bit about uh, sort of the rest of Asia. We talked a bit about China um, in terms of demand. India, Indian economy is still ticking along nicely. We saw some news, we had it on the bulletin today about it now coming back into the market, taking on more Russian oil, more than it did in August. Perhaps that's something to do with their refinery turnarounds. But again, in, how much support is India giving? And, and, and just give us your take on other East Asian, if you like, and South Asian consumers, the impact of these higher oil prices on them going forward in Q4, will that have any impact? Well, India is the bright spot of Asia at the moment. The growth is very strong there. Um, you're seeing that. You have seen uh, oil imports rise quite strongly. Yes, they're buying as much as they possibly can from Russia. Russia's meeting almost 40% of what they're buying at the moment. Um, the discount on the Russian barrels is narrowing, but it's still cheaper for them, so they're going to continue with that trade. I think the, the, the risk is always that you know high oil prices in themselves cure you know high oil prices because eventually they crunch demand. India uh, is now got its, its consumers are exposed to high oil prices. They get passed through to the retail price at the, at the petrol pump um, quite quickly. So you're going. To, I would imagine that you, we are starting to see little bits of evidence coming through that the consumers are starting to feel pressured again across Asia. Uh, high energy prices cut confidence. 
governments, they cut spending, they raise the possibility of higher interest rates, even as central banks do stand mm. pat. But they certainly, it, does, it makes interest rate cuts look further away and it keeps people front and center worried about inflation. And if you look at Asian media, the, the local media in each of the various countries, Thailand, Malaysia, that kind of stuff, then you actually see that, you know, the, the, the wall of worry is starting to be climbed again. And I think that kind of puts a little bit of a question mark over how high oil can go. Okay, we see there's our survey uh, result that 60% think it's not too late to propel Brent to $100. Last week, our survey, I think 40% of our uh, audience said that 90 would be more likely. Uh, the majority said that 90 rather than 100 for the rest of the quarters. So, I mean, it seems to be sort of averaging uh, out there, give or take. Um, Adi, let me just go back to you, maybe just to wrap up very quickly for us, because we started a couple of minutes late. We, we had a bit of a comment uh, earlier on how wages now are beginning to catch up with inflation as things stand. Let's see what happens. But again, I did mention the sort of slightly sort of more positive news out of the UK and Europe that that's now beginning to happen. What's the mood, current mood in the UK now? You know, energy prices, et cetera. We had a disastrous winter last year with, with, with high energy prices, et cetera. A little bit of comfort going into this winter? There's definitely a lot more comfort going into this winter simply because the stocks are so high. I mean, European stocks are very, very full. Actually, UK has been exporting quite a bit of gas into Europe. The, the way it happens is because uh, UK has got so much regas capacity. So they import LNG and then they export gas via pipelines to Europe. So uh, mood is a lot more positive. We have lovely warm weather here still, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, I, I think the key, I, I, the, the mood is very positive in that respect, but the and, and prices are relatively low, especially compared to last year. I think the, the the question is, again, what kind of winter we are going to have. And obviously that we have no idea. So we, if we do get another cold winter, I think the situation would be would be a, a pretty dire again. Um, but um, as, as, as Clyde said, I think, you know, the, the best cure for high prices are high prices. And, and I think we definitely see quite a bit uh, more. <clears throat> uh, Europe has been amazing in, in terms of uh, the, the sheer uh the percentage of demand cuts uh, it, either through industry, uh, you, you know, uh, processing less the high sort of energy intensive industries, but also consumers um, mm. using quite a little less gas. So we've lost about 10, 15 percent of demand, which is quite um, I, I will use that horrible word unprecedented. So okay, it's also overall, obviously going to yeah, this, this situation is looking a lot more positive at the moment. Yeah, but still, still, still likely to see some impact on other consumer spending as well, of course, which all feeds into the, the inflationary argument and how, how far that might go. Okay, well, thank you, gentlemen. I'm afraid we've run out of time. Thanks to Adi Msirovic, Arman Najia, and Clyde Russell for joining us uh, this morning uh, and have a great week ahead.